Well, thank you so much. As we, throughout the series, are going to experiment with some of these more liturgical uh, kinds of prayers. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us to ask, what is it that's at the center of my life? Because Jesus says he wants to be at the center of our lives. And what, if we invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. As Matt said, today we are starting a series of sermons on the subject of prayer. Before I do that, it was about this time last month that I gave you the update of how well our Rooted campaign has been going. Uh, Lake Forest Davidson is under contract to buy land on South Main Street in Davidson so that we can be rooted in this community for generations to come. And we've continued to see pledges and contributions come in. It's a very humbling thing uh, for me to, to see and, and be moved by so many people's generosity. If you have already uh, made a pledge and or started to contribute towards that pledge, I would encourage you to go online to our database, our Realm database, because there's actually a little tab that, that where we tried to put everyone's pledges into the database so we could keep like a running total. So if you would go look and make sure we didn't enter it wrong, that would be excellent. We don't, if we deleted too many zeros or something, definitely let us know. We'd love to add those right back in. But it gives you a little progress bar. It's a cool little uh, thing. Uh, it's technology, I suppose. If you have not yet gotten to turn into pledge, kind of sit down and talk through it, we would encourage you to do that by Thanksgiving. That's kind of the hard deadline we're giving ourselves, Thanksgiving. You can remember it by, we would love to give thanks for your pledge. Thanksgiving, so that when we hit December, I can kind of give you a, okay, here's where we've landed, landed, uh, and, and all the trickles have trickled in, and here's where we've landed, landed. So we're going to leave some pledge cards on the info table at all three services throughout the, this upcoming month so folks can do that by... Thanksgiving, we will give thanks. Okay, you remember that. So today we start the series on prayer. Prayer is an important part of so many of our lives. In fact, uh, even as America has become a, a little bit more of a secular uh, society, prayer has remained an important part of the American life. 50% of Americans report that they pray daily. Two-thirds of Christians in America say that they pray daily. 20% of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the religiously unaffiliated, not like the little ladies with the uh, hats on, the nuns, the religiously unaffiliated, 20% report that they pray daily. 1% of atheists in America report that they pray daily. Think about that. People are hungry for God. <laughs> And yet, prayer can be a difficult part of the Christian faith to understand. You know, like, how exactly does prayer work? Well, you'll be glad to know, I have a master's degree in this. I have a lot of time to sit at the Taco Bell and reflect on the big questions of life. So if you would get out pen and paper, I'm going to let you know right here, right now, I don't know how prayer works. I don't know. Like, I know big picture, you know, some of the ways that prayer changes people and prayer changes situations, but if you're asking for like a detail blow by blow, like in the same way a mechanic could describe an engine, I can't give you that on prayer. And the reason for that is that prayer is not transactional. 
God is not a giant vending machine where we walk up and put in a prayer. I guess now we'd swipe a prayer, go up and swipe a prayer, and then pick what you want. God is not the giant gumball machine at the gas station where you put in the quarter and turn it, and then the thing you wanted swirls down to you. Right? What did you learn at church today? God is not the gumball machine at the gas station. This is profound stuff. But the point I'm trying to make is prayer is not transactional. So what is prayer if it's not just a transaction between you and God? Prayer is a response to God. Prayer is drawing closer to God as a response to His deep love for you. Prayer is a dynamic conversation between you and your Creator, one in which you both talk and listen. Prayer is about a relationship. It's about a drawing closer to God. Prayer is more like a late-night chat and less like the, the express lane, uh, the self-checkout lane at the grocery store, where you just want to get your stuff and get out with as few words as possible. Prayer is more like a late-night conversation. It is a drawing closer to God, drawing closer to your Creator. It's dynamic. It's a conversation. It's talking. It's listening. It's tuning our hearts and tuning our minds to God's frequency. Now, prayer does change people, and prayer does change things, but it changes it in the way that relationships change people and change things. It's not just a machine. It's not just mechanistic. It's dynamic. Okay, Mr. Smarty Pants Pastor, if you cannot tell me how prayer actually works, why should I pray? And the answer is, you get on roller coasters without understanding how they work, and you still enjoy them. The better answer would even be, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus understands all the intricacies of prayer. Jesus could give you and me a thorough description of exactly how prayer works. He's fully God and fully human. Jesus knows all the intricacies of prayer. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we notice something. For example, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Prayer was a critical part of Jesus' ministry on earth, so that if you follow Jesus or if you ever come to follow Jesus, look at what Jesus did. Jesus took time to pray. Jesus understands all the intricacies of prayer, and he took time to pray. So even though you and I don't understand all the intricacies of prayer, that doesn't mean we can't enter into the mystery of it. And in fact, when you and I enter into the mystery of prayer, even without understanding all of exactly how each little piece works, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. We're following in the footsteps of our Savior, our Lord, our leader, who does understand how prayer works and took the time to pray. Luke 5.16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love that verse. Prayer from lonely places. Now, in the verse, it's clearly a physical description, but couldn't it also be an emotional state? A, a description of our mind? 
praying from a lonely place. Some years ago when we decided to start offering prayer after the service over there at the prayer station, we decided that the victory was not how many people came to receive prayer, the victory was making it available to people when they needed it. So that whether this is your first Sunday or this is your 428th Sunday, and that is the correct number. That's how many Sundays we've had, 428. I count it. It's the hardest thing I did for this sermon. 428 Sundays, whichever one it is for you, when you're walking through something, when you are in a lonely place, you can know that you are not alone. We would offer prayer to people from the lonely places. So Jesus does understand the intricacies of prayer, and he made it a priority to pray. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to flesh this out a little bit. If my point is you and I will never understand all the intricacies of prayer, but Jesus does, and he prayed, he made that an important part of his life, how can that rub off on us? How can the prayers of Jesus and what Jesus said about prayer, but actually how he practiced prayer, what can we learn from that? so that we might integrate it into our own prayer life uh, in in sort of a dynamic way. So I'm just going to go through as many of these as I have time for, and when the buzzer goes off, I'll be done. Bunch of stuff we can learn from the prayers of Jesus. I'm just going to start going. Here we go. Number one, number one, number, number, number one. Jesus taught some situations can only be solved by prayer. Mark chapter 9, verse 29, Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. In Mark chapter 9, a little boy is possessed by a demon. The disciples try to exercise the demon. It doesn't work. So Jesus comes and throws out the demon. And the disciples ask him, well, what did we do wrong? And Jesus says, essentially, don't worry about it. It was a tough one. And then he adds, it could only come out by prayer. When we have bad things happen in our world today, it's almost predictable the first wave of response is people sending their thoughts and prayers. The second wave of response is people saying, thoughts and prayers? We don't need no stinking thoughts and prayers. We need action. Now, both sides have a point. What ensues beyond that, of course, reminds us how nice it was when we didn't know exactly what everyone thought all the time. (laughs) But both sides do have a point. The the, the issues of our day do require more than good intention. They do require action. And at the same time, one of the actions required is prayer. Because Jesus is teaching there are some situations that can only be solved by prayer. There are some situations that you will encounter. There are some situations our church may encounter. There are some situations your community group or your family or your, our society may encounter that can only be solved by prayer. That does not mean all situations, but the possibility, Jesus is like giving us a window into how the world really works. There are some situations that we may come across that will not be solved by hard work, creative planning, uh, decisive action, wise counsel, strategy sessions. There are some issues that may only be solved by prayer. Now, what would be really convenient is if in the next verse, Jesus listed out exactly what those things are. But Jesus does not do that. 
in part because prayer is not transactional. It's about drawing into a relationship. You will remember God is not the gumball machine at the gas station. But the point remains the same. Jesus taught that some issues, some problems could only be solved by prayer. Number two, Jesus prayed for miracles. Jesus prayed for miracles. For example, in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus and his friends are grieving the death of their friend Lazarus. And Jesus is walking to the tomb. And if you know the Bible story about Lazarus, you may remember that at the end of it, Lazarus is brought back from the dead. He's resurrected. What you may not remember is that as Jesus is walking to the tomb, he is praying. What is he praying about? Well, we read this in, in verse 41. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In other words, I've been praying to you this whole time. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. We get this, again, beautiful insight into this reality that there's a constant dialogue going on between God the Father and God the Son, who is Jesus. And God the Son, Jesus, is walking towards the tomb of Lazarus, and he has been praying the whole time. What do you imagine he was praying about? Well, he goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus from the dead. He's praying for a miracle for Lazarus. Now, this is fascinating to me because Jesus actually has the ability to perform miracles, and yet he's praying for a miracle. Now, you could write entire papers on the intricacies of that, but my point today is not to solve all the intricacies. My point is to say we can follow in his footsteps. Jesus prayed for miracles. We, too, can pray for miracles. Now, is this a promise that if you do everything just right, God's going to give you a miracle? No. No. Remember, prayer is not transactional. God is not the giant gumball machine at the gas station. You can't conjure up a miracle. That's what makes it a miracle. At the same time, you and I are being encouraged to pray for miracles. Jesus prayed for miracles. You and I can pray for miracles. Number three, Jesus prayed for others' faith. Jesus prayed for others' faith. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. A lot of the prayers of Jesus that get recorded in the Bible, the content of them, are from the hours before his crucifixion. We can sometimes think, man, it'd be easy if you're Jesus to pray. You know, he's sitting by the pool, sipping some lemonade, realizes it's not quite as sweet as he would want, prays about it, boom, it's sweet. That's not most of what Jesus prays about in the Bible. Most of Jesus' prayers in the Bible come in the midst of the hours leading up to his gruesome death at the hands of the Roman government. So if you're going through something this morning, if you're, if you're not sure, can anyone relate to this? Jesus knows what it's like to be in the midst of a very difficult situation and still to be a person of prayer, a person who takes time for prayer. And interestingly, even in the midst of this terrible, tense time Jesus is in in his, in his life, he prays for the faith of other people. 
How central is that to the ministry of Jesus? That in his last hours before his crucifixion, he's praying for other people's faith. So how central is that to the life of a follower of Jesus? Part of what I love about our church is that we take a great interest in the spiritual well-being of other people. Not in a pushy way, I hope. I hope it's in a winsome way. But we believe that nobody's too far gone. We believe that Jesus specializes in what seem like hopeless situations. And the reason I think we're like this is we look at the example of Jesus. Jesus took time to pray for the faith of others, that it would grow, that it would flourish, that it wouldn't wither in the the heat of the moment. So again, I commend that to you and me, to how we think about our friends, our neighbors, our families, our teammates, our kids, to the people we think about inviting to, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and pray for the faith of others. Now, I often find that when I'm, you know, having a situation with somebody, or I know I'm about to, or as we say in the Southeast, fixing to have a situation with somebody, one of the things that helps me is to pray for that person, to pray for their faith. Because remember, Jesus is praying for the faith of Simon. Simon's the guy who says, Jesus, I'll never leave your side. And about two hours later, he ran off and left Jesus for dead. So they're about to have some choppy water. They're fixing to be in a pretty rough spot. And so what does Jesus do proactively to that relationship that's about to, to fracture? He prays for Simon's faith. What number are we on? Is anybody? Number four. Very Oh, they number them. Helpful. Number four. Jesus yielded to God's will in prayer. Jesus yielded to God's will in prayer. Matthew 26, 39, going a little further, he fell, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So this is one of the, to me, the most heart-wrenching scenes in the Bible. Jesus knows his crucifixion is coming. He is about to sacrifice himself to make amends for the sins of the world. He's willing to do it, but in this tender moment, he falls to the ground and prays, Father God, I wish there were some other way. Jesus is honestly pouring out his heart in prayer. He says what he most deeply desires in this very fragile moment to his Father who is in heaven. I think Jesus is giving us permission to be honest in prayer. That you and I do not have to sugarcoat and sanitize everything that we pray. We don't have to sugarcoat and sanitize everything we ask for or everything that we say. But then after being honest in prayer, Jesus turns a corner and he says, but not what I will, what you will. In other words, your plan, your way. And I think this is another great example to us. That after you and I have had real and honest prayer, after we have poured out what's really in our hearts, really in our minds, really deep in our souls, not the sanitized version we feel the pressure to say, but after we have said what is really deep inside of us, to then turn the corner and say, now I've said all that and I mean it, 
And what I want most of all is to walk on your path. What I want most of all is to do life your way. Help me to follow you. I, I think the visual that helps me is to think of prayer as a green light followed by a yield sign. Green light followed by a yield sign. Prayer is a green light. Go. Be honest with God in prayer. God, God can take it. Be honest with God in prayer. And after the green light, go, yield. And after you have said what, what, what you most truly believe, if you've been honest and real in prayer, be willing to yield to God's way, to God's plan, to, to God's path. Because it, it could be possible that what you think you need and what God knows you need are different. And so we want to remember to yield to God's way in prayer. Yield to who God is, yield to what God desires. And then finally, number five, number five, number, number, number five, Jesus prayed Scripture. Jesus prayed Scripture. So Jesus believes some things can only be solved by prayer. Jesus prayed for miracles. Jesus prayed for other people's faith. Jesus the point I just made, and uh, yielded to God's will in prayer. And then five, Jesus prayed Scripture. Matthew 27, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, leme sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is dying on the cross. Again, you notice a lot of these prayers are coming from the last hours of Jesus' life. We, see, we get this real insight into what he was praying about in the last hours of his life. He's dying on the cross. It's about three in the afternoon, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a hard thing to hear Jesus say. And as you can imagine, there have been libraries written about this verse of the Bible. I'm not going to rehash the libraries today. I'm just going to make a quick observation. And now notice, I'm a preacher saying I'm going to make a quick observation. One of those words is in, in quotation marks. Jesus is a Jew. And as best we can reconstruct from history, the Jewish people of this day and time prayed on a pretty strict schedule. One of the times they would have prayed would have been 3 p.m. And so, in all likelihood, as best we can reconstruct, what's happening here is even as Jesus is dying on the cross, 3 p.m. rolls around and he desires to pray. And what he prays is a prayer of agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting to note he's actually quoting a verse of the Bible there. How did I learn this? Was it my master's degree? Was it my Davidson education? No. I looked at the footnotes. And if you go to the footnotes, it'll point out Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus is dying on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think, number one, we'd be smart to see that as a prayer. It's a prayer of agony. 
And we'd be smart to remember he is quoting a verse of the Bible. So what can we learn from that? Well, sometimes I feel like my prayers need to be extemporaneous if it's going to be sincere. Right? If I'm not winging it, is it really a sincere prayer? I think Jesus is inviting us to something different because what happens when you and I don't have the will to pray? What happens when there's no words to put into, when we can't find the words to put anything in, into words? What happens in those hard seasons where anything you pray would feel fake? Well, I think we follow in the footsteps of Jesus here. With whatever you do or don't know about the Bible, if, if you have to ask a Christian friend or you have to Google it, I think Jesus is inviting us to find a verse of the Bible that we relate to, that describes our situation, or maybe a, a, a verse we aspire to, a verse that encapsulates, uh, a verse that by God's grace is where we hope we would be. Find the verse or find the verses and say, God, here is my prayer, and read the verse. And you don't have to fill the silence. Read the verse again. You don't have to fill the silence. And then just reflect on the verse in your mind and say, Amen. That's my prayer. Read the verse, let it sit. Read the verse, let it sit. Reflect on it in your mind. Say amen. Sometimes when you and I don't know what to pray, I think Jesus is saying, look to the Bible. Let, find your words in God's Word. Find your voice in God's voice. That gets us back to the passage we read earlier, which is actually the most important thing I want you to know about the prayers of Jesus. It's this. Jesus ain't done praying. The prayers of Jesus continue today. Hebrews 7, 4, 24 says this, because Jesus lives forever. In other words, he didn't just die, he also rose from the grave. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Because Jesus always lives to intercede for you. In the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament, there was a group called the priests. The priests had two main jobs. They were supposed to unlock the church and put out the chairs. Those were their two main jobs. Thank you. Someone at 8.15 said, no, they delegated those. He was the setup team leader, so, you know, that's how it goes. No, so the priests in the Old Testament had two main jobs. The priests were supposed to offer sacrifices to God to atone or make, make right, make amends for the sins of the people, and they were supposed to offer prayers to God for God's people. Those are their two jobs. So when the Bible says that Jesus is a permanent priest, he's our forever priest, he's the priest with the capital P, what two things are being communicated about Jesus? 
The first is that he offers sacrifice to make amends for the sins of the people, but he doesn't do it over and over again. The Bible says he made a once and for all sacrifice, which was himself. He offered himself as the sacrifice, so complex and so pure that it could make amends for, it could offer forgiveness to all people throughout all time who would put their faith in Jesus. The second thing Jesus does as the priest with a capital P, the forever priest, the permanent priest, is that Jesus prays for the needs of God's people. So that if you are a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, whatever you are going through, you need to know there is at least one person praying for you. Even if you have not told another soul what you are going through, there is at least one person praying for you. There is one person who is going to make sure you and your situation do not fall through the cracks. He is the priest with the capital P. His name is Jesus. And He invites you and He invites me to draw closer to God this dynamic God who is already drawn close to us. One of the ways we draw closer to God is through prayer. Because prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is a relationship that happens in the ups and the downs of life. But during the ups and the downs of life, it is something that draws us in, changes us, changes our situations, but it does it in a very dynamic way. The best news in all of this is that you don't have to be on the outside looking in. There is always room for one more person in God's family. There is always room for one more person to place their life in the hands of the priest with the capital P, to claim his sacrifice, his forgiveness on your behalf. Through Jesus, you can be reconciled to God forever and drawn into a life one step at a time that reflects who God has always wanted you to be. So my question as I sort of wrap up this first uh, message in the prayer series would be this. What is your takeaway from our study of the prayers of Jesus? Fairly open-ended. What is your takeaway from our study of the prayers of Jesus. There's much more that could be said, but we'll sort of stop there. Whether you pray infrequently or you pray all the time, whether you're real thoughtful about how you pray or, or you know, your prayers are more kind of those microwave prayers. You know, it ain't pretty, but it's fast. But whatever your prayer life looks like, however strong or weak that it is, what could you, what's your takeaway from our studies of the prayer of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus? That prayer is a response to God's love, that prayer is a dynamic conversation, that we can pray from the lonely places, that sometimes prayer is the only solution. We can pray for miracles, to pray for others' faith maybe even in a hard situation, being honest in prayer, yielding to God in prayer, 
praying scripture when we don't know what else to pray, or maybe just to change it up a little bit. The assurance that God is, Jesus is praying for you as his follower, or maybe the assurance there's room for you too to be a follower of Jesus. There's always room for one more person in God's family. At 8.15, one of the uh, kids who was in the service said uh, his takeaway was that God is not the gumball machine at the gas station. It's a good takeaway. It's a good takeaway. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, to talk to God, to listen to God. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for each person gathered here today. And I pray that whatever brought us through these doors, that we encounter you and leave different. Lord, I do pray for each of us that we will find, take a new step in our prayer life whether it's trying something new, whether it's being more honest than we've been in the past, whether it's being more frequent or more thoughtful. I pray we would each take a step, but not just for the sake of taking a step, but so that we would be drawn closer to you, closer into relationship with you. And through that, we would be transformed. Lord, I do pray for those of us who feel lost and aimless. I pray that we would be willing to put our lives under the authority of you, the priest with a capital P. To receive your forgiveness and to be strengthened each day by your never-ending prayers. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.